Welcome to the Andy Staple Show and Friends Podcast Feed, the flagship college football podcast at The Athletic. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sam Kahn, senior college football writer at The Athletic, also known as the Texpert, joined as always by my great friend Max Olson, national college football writer at The Athletic, and our expert on the transfer portal, the busiest man in the country this week. Max, <laughs> do you have any breaking portal news for us as we begin the podcast on this beautiful Thursday? Do I have any breaking portal news? Let's see here. The last player to go in the portal was Derek Burgess from Southern Miss. There you go, folks. Derek Burgess, Southern go. Miss, is available. <laughs> Give him a call. Uh, uh, no, it's it's we're we're getting by. It, thankfully, it has slowed down. Monday was insanity. Monday was you know in terms of scholarship players, like over four hundred fifty guys going in at once. Last few days haven't been as bad. I think we're gonna get to like a a pace here. I think where it's like probably just like. 30 to 50 guys going in a day, which is still a lot, but it's a more manageable but number of people. Not, so, and not as much as that's what I'm hoping. And, that's what I'm hoping. 450 or whatever we were end up on Monday, but uh, yeah, it's important. It's important. It needs to stop so that I can actually sit down and and like do the best available. Like actually try to attempt to rank these guys. It's oh yeah, just hard. <laughs> hard to do that when nobody when the like in this this whole musical chairs they don't never turn off the music so I can actually sit down and do something here. So you know. yeah, yeah, okay. no doubt. No doubt. They uh great show today. We we'll talk portal in a minute. Uh we have TCU, a former TCU player, Joel Anderson, a slate, a good friend of ours. We had him on the podcast last year. We're gonna talk about the frogs with him and, and some of the takes that he had a year ago when they hired one Sonny Dykes and uh plenty of other talk about some recruiting news on, on the front. But Max, we'll start with the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it is that time, as you mentioned. You know, I, I was over at, at University of Houston on Monday working on a story that'll come out next week about uh, how some teams attacked the first day of the portal. Uh, obviously, so many guys crushed into it because that was the first day that FBS undergraduates were allowed in if you didn't fill one of those other criteria. But now we're, we're, we're a few days into it. What's been your just biggest takeaways from what we've seen so far? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that this probably played out this week the way you, you would expect, just based on the way that they tried to tweak the rules this year. Um, you know, it is Monday was definitely, you know, overwhelming for a lot of people. I, you know, I talked to, I talked to staffers leading up to December 5th about how they thought this stuff would go. And, and there were some who just thought, man, this can be really crazy. We're going to be really overworked as a staff to try and handle all this. And there's some people who are like, you know, I think we're really prepared. I think we've done our, you know, I've done our homework over these last few months and think that when these names start popping up, we'll, we'll be ready to be able to, you know, move very quickly on extending offers and getting them on the phone and recruiting and all that stuff. And even the people who were super prepared um, and had been thinking about this day since August, uh, even those guys told me that they thought it was chaos. So I think that um, I, you know, it's, 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 it's really fascinating. Um, And I, I like, it's just, it's just a crazy time. I mean, I know that there's not been like a Caleb Williams necessarily, or some of those types of, you know, Quinn Ewers. There's, there hasn't maybe necessarily been one of those kind of guys yet. Obviously Drake may came out on Wednesday night and said, he's staying at North Carolina. That's a name that people threw around a lot, um, whether that was ever real or not. Um, and I, you know, we'll see if like those kinds of players are going to hit the market here. You know, certainly last year it was Caleb Williams came after the bowl game. Um, you know, some of the like Jordan Addison came in May. So like you never know when when some of these things could pop. But um, right now, as you would expect, uh, 
a lot of quarterbacks out there looking for homes and uh that that game of dominoes um is is or, you know just when those kind of start toppling it's going to be really interesting to see kind of who goes where because a lot of schools are looking and a lot of kids are looking yeah you you mentioned uh the quarterbacks Devin Leary at NC State is in the portal uh several guys down here in the state of Texas uh, Hudson Card which we talked about last week that was expected uh, yeah. at Texas uh Donovan Smith at Texas Tech is in he, he started Haynes, some games Haynes. this year for, for the Red Raiders and uh Kyron Jones at Baylor who, who's Jones. gonna be attractive yep. options for some so a lot lots of different guys in there but like you said no no real wow I think moves, DJ's so the big one the DJ's yeah. the big one and you know he put that I mean I think if you watch the ACC tally game on Saturday night you, you kind of expected that was probably yeah. coming yeah. um and he we're that the night the before Klubnik era now yeah, we're there. We're there. And so, you know, where he goes to kind of reboot his career is going to be fascinating, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, some of these schools, whether it's a UCLA or a Notre Dame, um, these schools that are out here that are clearly in need, like you're, I'm just really curious to see which person do they prefer to take and then kind of what does that mean for everybody else? Yeah, May, May was interesting because not only obviously we're just just conversation about whether or not he would consider but phil long goes off to coordinator mm -hmm. took job wisconsin so you know that that always opens things up but but he's going to stay put but yeah it has, it has been interesting because i didn't yeah, Bra know what braylon allen also said he's staying at wisconsin which he kind of said mm -hmm. i'm at like you know you you, you kind of take them at their word but i guess we who knows how the next six months go too you know right right and, and that's the thing is as we sit here today as we record there's 41 days left the portal will be open then it'll close in mid mid january and then it'll reopen again after spring football in may and this is the first time we're dealing with all this and, and that was a sense that i got was that with coaches doing this the first time with this particular window it just creates that little time crunch and like you said i think chaos for the first couple of days but i think now it's kind of getting to the point where it's a little bit more manageable uh the one thing that i have heard is interesting is that for teams that are playing bowl games uh, in early December, or I should say uh, mid mid to late December, mm -hmm. that are before Christmas, it does create a little interest, interesting convergence because you've got guys out trying to be out recruiting, and you've got guys going to the portal, but then you're also trying to prepare a team for a bowl game. So it's all kind of a lot just kind of converging on this one month, which is why I also think why you've seen the coaching carousel accelerate where there's not very many jobs open at this point because you've got to kind of have your guy at this point. Well, and, and all this is it's all this is interconnected. So, like when you see Louisville open up, um, or you see Purdue open up, you're like, "Wait, so are a bunch of those players going to go hit the portal now? Like in the next 24 hours?" Like I think the obviously coaching changes have a big impact on this stuff, um, and I think it's uh, you know we've also seen in this cycle, with the exception of like Stanford and, and a couple that are still open right now, people felt like they had to move really fast to go get go get a coach because this stuff and signing day being two weeks away. Um, you just feel like every, every day you have, you don't have someone sitting in that chair, you're falling pretty far behind here. So um, yeah, it's, it's a just especially um, frenzied time um, for these coaches. Like you just, you watch Matt rule and Hugh freeze and these new coaches taking over. Like you're, you're trying to hit the road for all these in-home visits with your recruits, trying to hold that class together. You're trying to go out, throw out offers and figure out what your needs are, um, you know, for your roster. Like, it's a, it's a lot of, and then in, in with the quarterback stuff, like you have to make some big time decisions that, that decide, like, you know, obviously last year, a, a Michael Penix or, or Bonex or a Caleb Williams, like those guys are total like program changer, season changer type guys. It's like, you got to go make those types of decisions uh, right now here in, in early, early, mid December. So 
Um, I'm, I'm excited to see now that the names are starting to, to, to pop up here. Um, who's going where? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You mentioned Louisville. Obviously, they made a change, or, or Scott Satterfield prompted a change because he left uh, for Cincinnati, uh, and, and they're they're hiring uh, Jeff Brom over from Purdue. Uh, but that that resulted in a recruiting fallout where five-star mm-hmm. running back Ruben Owens decommitted on Wednesday, uh, announced that he is going – a few hours later announced that he's going to Texas A&M, which uh, obviously is a big loss for Louisville because Louisville typically doesn't get five stars. But after – it was pretty cut and dried. Owens said – you know, told he Grace Rainer got him on the phone, our, our recruiting reporter at The Athletic, and he pretty much said the coaching change was a big reason and the running backs coach who he developed a relationship with is not going to stay. So, so that made that – Decision pretty academic, but a couple hours later, he was ready to, to commit to AM and gives the Aggies their first skill position recruit in the 2023 class from an offensive standpoint. Uh, that no, no, no receivers, no running backs, no quarterbacks in this class until Owens got in the boat. But it's a big, uh, big get for Jimbo Fisher mm-hmm. and for the Aggies who have had some guys leaving the portal uh, these first few days. But obviously, you're looking to turn things around from five to seven season. What do you, what did you think of Owens going to the Aggies? So Ruben Owens committed to Louisville on June 20th this year. I don't have access to this, but if I did, on June 20th, I would have put in a crystal ball for Texas a and <laughs> <laughs> I just, I had a hard time buying that this was going to hold all the way to December. Um, you know, it's like some, we're kind of in this time now where guys are making moves and you're sort of like, is this a leverage play? Like, is this... Do you, are you going to do this? Are you just kind of taking a spot for now? Cause this sounds fun, but you're, then you're going to go take five minutes in the fall and stuff like that. Like, it's just, you know, I, I really don't take, like, I don't take junior commitment seriously at all. And in that, in that, in that instance, I know that Louisville, you know, with, with, um, you know, Steven Pierce Clarkson, I know they're, they were building something there, but like, it was just hard for me to believe Ruben Owens was really going to sign with Louisville in, you know, when, when we get to signing day here. So there, there was that kind of skepticism for me. And I, you know, I know you and I, Sam, we're hearing that from a lot of different people in the industry and stuff. So like, I guess, how surprised were you that this actually happened? Not at all. I think the coaching change obviously is what changes it. But the question I had is if the coaching change doesn't happen, does it stick? Cause it, he got right, this far right. and we're now two weeks away from less than two weeks now from signing day. I guess he made the commitment decommitment two weeks before signing day. Uh, but we got this far with him there sticking. And I, and like you said, talk to people in recruiting, recruiting staffers, people in the industry. A lot of people said they thought he had one more move left before his recruitment was over. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Ari wrote about it in the middle of the season, but he had tried to take a visit to Texas A&M. It got out before the visit was made and he abruptly canceled it because I think he was trying to be a secret visit, trying to kind of keep it mm-hmm. on the down low. And, and so when that blew up, uh, he canceled it, but I think there was always a connection there. And obviously not very far. He's, he's in El Campo, Texas. It's not very far f- from El Campo to College Station. So, uh, and, and this is a Texas A&M team that has run the ball a lot, has had some really successful running backs the last few years with Isaiah Spiller and uh, Devon A. Chain. So it all makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travion before that. Yeah. Travion Williams before that. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher's had some good ones at A&M. So uh, it certainly makes sense. But, yeah, no, I, I think – I, I was fascinated by whether or not it was going to stick. And it looked like it, it to me, it looked like it was going to until this coaching change was made. But, and I think too, when Louisville started to struggle early in the middle of the season, you kind of wondered, you know, whether Satterfield was going to be out or what was going to happen there. And if that happened, you know, all bets are off in a recruiting class. 
Yeah, so you you wrote a great piece with Andy that that ran today on the Athletic Sam about the state of of Texas A and M, and you know I, I know you've spent weeks working on this, trying to kind of dig in and, and really fully understand what happened this year and and why they they fell you know well short of uh, of really lofty expectations, um, and and kind of where it goes from here. Um, why don't you? For any listener who hasn't hasn't checked it out, highly encourage you to go read it. But why don't you kind of lay out here what you and, and Andy learned through uh, the weeks of reporting you put into that? Yeah, it, it was it was interesting conversation because I think like everybody, we wanted to know what happened because this season came they came with a ton of expectations, top ten team, number one recruiting class, four straight top ten recruiting classes. They beat Alabama last year, even though it was up and down. I think we understand some of the reasons it was. But you thought this was a team that probably was a double-digit win team going Mm -hmm. into this year and and probably setting the stage for a college football playoff run in 23, especially when you looked at the schedule. Yeah, And obviously, we're sitting here, and they're one of three SEC teams not going to a bowl game. They're five and seven. Uh, The season became a disaster by, I guess, every definition you could possibly imagine. And – our, our charge was, why did that happen? And it was a few things. One, and I think everybody could see this pretty evidently, the, the offense was a problem, uh, as it was clear. And, and you can see that from statistics, but also just from Jimbo's just week-to-week process. It, there were things such as, you know, he wasn't very creative against anybody except ranked teams. I went and pulled this last night. It was really interesting to me. Uh it, according to True Media, the the six games, the six game losing streak that they had, were also the six games where they used eleven personnel the much, the most. Mm-hmm. You know, Cole Kubelik went on this rant earlier this year about how they save all their best stuff and most creative stuff for Alabama, and you saw Alabama was the most that they used pre snap motion. Of course, they came really close to to winning that game on the last play, but I went back I, the LSU game, they used two back formations 35 percent of the time against lsu and the rest of the year they used it less than six percent of the time okay so that that was one thing is is it seemed like the creativity was only reserved for a few games offensively and then so that's one thing two you got which is which is where at this point in the tenure like to be kind of searching for identity is interesting yeah yeah no doubt and and part of that too because you are playing a ton of young players. You got this number one recruiting class. I went and poured through some of the recruiting classes of the last few years, and clearly there were a lot of misses. There were the, the 19, 20, and 21 classes. There are a handful of guys that they that are not on campus anymore or that didn't turn out. And mm-hmm. so you combine that with a pretty significant number of injuries. They they had at least, I think, 86 combined games. And I think if I started to add it up, it was closer to 100 combined games missed by expected starters. And so all those all those injuries were not filled by juniors or sophomores or, or guys that that uh, third year players that had been around for a little while. It was filled a lot with a lot of freshmen and true freshmen and redshirt freshmen. They had seventy two combined starts between redshirt freshmen and true freshmen, which is a ton. Mm-hmm. And so you had all that, and then you had some discipline issues. You had the Moose Muhammad sleeve thing we talked about, which was really at the end of that six game blue streak. But you had Multiple players get suspended for a locker room incident in South Carolina. Four, four of them, I think all freshmen, the 22 class. You had four players get suspended before Miami. And this all ate into the coach's time. Like, like, we had people tell us that Jimbo Fisher's game planning time 
offensive game planning time during the week was getting interrupted by having to deal with discipline issues throughout the week. So it just became a mess from start to finish. And when you started to add all those things up against uh, and, and combine all that into one thing in an SEC that even was a down SEC, it became pretty hard for them to win football games and, and ended up where they were, which was five and seven missing a bowl game. Do you think that so so first of all, there's like you hit on it at the end there. There there is the um some of the like the incidents and some of the 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 drama and stuff like that that occurred. Obviously it leads people to kind of question like what's the state of the locker room? You knew they were gonna have attrition at the end of the season. Um they've had twenty guys go in the portal. Um not not very many surprising ones, I think I would say at this point. But there's that there's that part of it. But then also like I don't, you know, the, the OC hires is certainly so important, but like, do you think the LSU win had an effect at the end that it wasn't such a, maybe like what, how do you, especially when you're reporting out the story about how this, this season has gone so miserably to close it out and, and beat LSU the way that they did, like what impact do you think that ends up having on how this thing moves forward? Yeah, I do think, I do think silly enough as it sounds, I do think the LSU win gives them a chance to retain more guys. On the I kind of think so too, because I think they look at that game and and say to themselves, "We didn't quit." Number one, but number two, if we if we do what we're supposed to do, this is what we can be. We can be a team that beats a top ten team, you know, on in a big stage in a big moment with our backs against the wall. So, I, I think that's going to buy in some belief. Now, uh, clearly, there's a lot of guys that, that are gone. We two of the Four of the 2022 recruits are already gone, including two five-stars, Denver Harris and Chris Marshall. They both mm-hmm. hit the portal. But both of those guys were suspended, so I don't think that was entirely unexpected. Both of those right. missed you know, half, half or more than half the season with suspensions. So the, to, losing two five-stars is a killer without question, but I, I don't think that was unexpected. But if they can keep your Walter Nolans, your Shamar Stewarts, your Evan Stewarts, your LT Overtons, if they can keep that core together, Connor Wegman, of course, I think you have a shot. And if you combine that with a really good offensive coordinator hire, which we'll see who it is, and everything that we've been told from people within the building is that Jimbo Fisher, and I, I, like I said, I believe it when I see it, but he says he's going to hand over the play calling to who he hires, and he's going to take his hands off the offense for the most part. And so that that to me is a fascinating revelation because to mm-hmm. me he did weekly battle with everybody about his offense and you know why it wasn't that much of a problem and yep and you know this is what he does he won a national championship calling plays and so it was interesting to see the tonal shift from what he publicly put out all season long to what is being said behind the scenes right now so I do think but I do think to your point the LSU win I think helped them a little bit as we sit here in, in December eighth so do you think like, do you, do you walk away from reporting that feeling like they're going to be okay generally? Or is it more wait and see on on who's coming to run the offense and uh, and certainly kind of like who makes it to spring ball here? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a wait and see. I think it's probably more optimistic than I would have felt uh, in week 12 before the LSU game because mm-hmm. after the six-game losing streak and then they even had a – a very poor performance against UMass. They won the game, but it was UMass who was one and eleven. I think you feel better if you're an AM fan, you feel better about it right now than you did three weeks ago. But that I still think it's a wait and see because we're, we're talking about 18 to 22 year olds, and those decisions can happen in a snap. So 
the minute you lose one of those players that you really, really wanted to keep, you know, if you lose one of those types, then questions I think are, are being asked. And also, like I said, I'm curious to see. It's it's great for Jimbo Fisher to say right now that he's going to give over control of the offense. But I'm also curious what what happens when the games actually start happening. What happens yep. Yep. when they have a few three and outs in in week three? You know, is is that gonna is he still going to stick to that? Right. You know what 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 you, you can happen? step aside from January through August and and be comfortable with that. But once once it's time to call a game, yeah, I think it's yeah. different from some of these head coaches. Yeah, because it, 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 it's it's what he does. It's what he loves. I mean, I asked him about it in the summer. He said, I, I love ball. This is what I did to get here, and, and this is what I love doing. It's my expertise. And so I think that's going to be hard to get let go. I, I did talk to some folks that said that they thought he would be relieved to get some stuff off his plate because he how much he had to handle this year. But again, like I said, I'll believe it when I see it. So I think it's a wait and see. But but if if all those things go right, yeah, can they flip this thing back the other way pretty quickly? I think I do think they can, but it, it depends on retaining all that talent and, and making the right OC hire. So you think preseason like number five, number four next year? <laughs> like, what are we, we going to put you down for? Here? No, no, but that actually would be a funny like a, a bet now, like in December. Okay, preseason AP top twenty five, like set an over under on where you think A and is going to be. I think they'll probably be in the low twenties, probably twenty ish, twenty two ish. I would think. That's what you think? I think right as we sit here in December right now, and of course it could be different in a few months, but I think right now, I, yeah, I think I think they're probably like twenty twenty two ish. Is where I would probably okay. You want to you want to take like under under eighteen, eighteen no. and a half. No, I, I they'll, they'll be. I think they'll be ranked. When you say lower, I think they'll be. Ranked I'm saying lower I'll, than I, I think they'll be higher. Than you, you think they'll be higher? You know, I'll take yeah. lower. I think they'll be lower than. What do you want to set it at? Nineteen and a half. I'll, I'll still take lower than nineteen. I think they're in the twenties. I think they'll be. You in think the they're 20s. in the twenties? All right, nineteen yeah. and a half. There's the bet. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they will be. I think they will be in. Or do you want to set it at twenty and a half? They went no 19, the 19 and a half. Nineteen and a half is good. All right, you, you got it. They 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 went eight and four and five and seven the last two years. There's really no reason they should be higher than twenty. You know, so you know, Sam. There's a little something called uh, team talent composite. Ever heard of it? That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, I guess we go through this with Texas every year too, right? <laughs> we get to you know, you get to August. You're trying to fill out this, these ballots, and once you get past like eight, you're like they all look the same, and then you're gonna put A and M at like nine because of the <laughs> I am That's not. That's how it's gonna go. I am, I am not gonna do that. I'm, this is why I like I don't this. Have, I like this uh, eight month eight month uh, duration bet here. I, I think this is gonna be fun. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. Speaking speaking of bets, uh, we really didn't bet, but speaking of predictions, we we had before we bring Joel on to hold him accountable for his Sunny Dykes take last year. Let's hold ourselves accountable for a few things. We we said right right before Halloween, we had a trick or treat episode, and we went through a handful of predictions for the end of the season. And so let's—I want to run down some of those and see how we did. Uh, I, I went through the episode that we had uh, earlier this week and, and ran down. And I'm going to start with me on a positive note. I said the TCU would finish 12 and one and make the college football playoff. Ding ding ding! How about that? That's amazing. That is amazing. And I remember when I said it, you were you were. You thought it was pretty bold, and I love and, I love the optimism. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I thought they would lose a game and still make it. Now, I, I, to, in fairness, I thought they would lose a game in the regular season and win the conference championship and get in. I didn't think they would go twelve and zero and then lose the conference championship and then get in. I actually thought if they lost the conference championship, they wouldn't get in until 
until a week ago. But, uh, but, but I, I, I will take, uh, I will take uh, credit for that. You said Max Bijan Robinson is going to end up in New York City, and you know what? Honestly, you should have been right about that personally, because I think Bijan should have been to New York City for yeah. the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Sad, sad. Not my fault. Not my fault. <laughs> I mean, I can't reveal who I voted for in Heisman. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah, I think you know. I was thinking about this. I, I, I think if, I think if TCU hadn't shut down Bijan, and he had some sort of case where you could say, oh, he's had, you know, X number of hundred yard games in a row, I think he could have made it. But I also yeah. think the Heisman should invite five people to the ceremony. I agree. I think I the agree. ballot should be five. Yes. Yeah. That these too. Are, these it's, are my it's always been. It's always been three. I don't see the harm in making it five. Uh, especially as I think clearly I'm, I'm a big like participation trophy kind of guy here. Clearly, if we... <laughs> clearly that's the energy I'm giving off here, but no, I just think I, 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 you wish that, uh, I don't know. I, I wish there was more recognition for, for excellence here beyond to me. It's more about the, it's more about just the winner more than about just the winner. The show is an hour long. You're telling me you can't squeeze in so five. Clearly, I'm very tired. It is about yeah. more than just the winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the but the Heisman ceremony is an hour long. There, there, there's yeah. no reason why you can't stick five different individual stories in that time frame. That's there's plenty of time sure. for that. So, I agree with you. Bijan should have ended up in New York, even though you're wrong. The other one, I then other one, I next one I predicted was Texas would finish eight and four. So I got that one right. Uh, so Very I feel good. good about that. Very good. Uh, Ma- Max, you had Oklahoma would come storming back after their midseason struggles <laughs> and they would be the one team that could stop Oklahoma state, which they did to your credit. They did. Oklahoma did win Bedlam. So you got Oklahoma that one did right. win Bedlam, but I would not other say they people did also back. stop Oklahoma state. <laughs> yep. Other people also did that. Um, you know, Oklahoma coming storming back. I, you know, it's kind of a vague term. I didn't really put a number on it. So <laughs> you did not. I, it's, it's, it's important to make predictions that you can't, uh, you know, you can't really calculate. Did they, so after, did they storm back or not? After you made that comment, uh, they they went two and three the rest of the way. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but but one of one of their one of their wins was against Bedlam, so you got that one right. Two of those now, wins were pretty stormy, I thought. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but they got to a bowl game, so they're six and six. And uh, mm-hmm. hey, you know, at least they're playing in the postseason. So boomer sooner. Uh, here's one I got really really wrong, and that was that weekend that it happened. I said that Ooh. Oklahoma State would beat Kansas State. Which they did not. Kansas State beat Oklahoma State 48-0. And I said that Oklahoma State would make the Big 12 championship game. So in terms wrong of, on both counts. In terms of the you were you were only off by 48 points. I was only game. off by 48 points in that game. And yeah. uh but to, in fairness, the winner of that game did go to the Big 12 championship. I just picked the wrong one. That's true. That is true. I you know, we now that I'm now that I'm looking at this list of things we said, I actually had I actually had some decent ones too. You did, you did. But uh, let, let, hit him with the last one you've got here. I've got a few to right. run off. All right, last one I had. I said Baylor would finish six and six. Nailed, Nailed that. Nailed that. Was was a little nervous about that in the end of the TCU game. <laughs> and I said Texas Tech would finish eight and four. I missed that by a game. They they finished seven and five, but they still did have a very good finish to their year. And first time in program history that they beat both Texas and Oklahoma in the same season. So good start for that, Joey McGuire. So I was pretty close on both. Good job by you. Yep. I said Iowa State would put a run together and get to a bowl game. That did not occur. <laughs> um, I did say Kansas is going to get that sixth win with or without Jalen Daniels. They did. They did get that sixth win. Jalen Daniels also did come back. 
Um, and you know, Sam, you didn't write this one down, but I remember it because I was sweating this one out for sure. I did say Neil Brown would return in 2023. You did. You did say that. Good job. And I said I, the buyout was too much. And that's right. That, that ended up proving true. Didn't didn't see uh, the AD change coming there, but Neil <laughs> I don't think any of us did. is set to return in 23. Yeah. Iowa State, man, I'm looking back through this. Man, they had they they started three and zero, and they finished four and eight. My goodness, that's a rough one. Year. One conference win, but so many of these losses by one score. One, two, three, four, six losses by six one score. Yep. rough for the Cyclones. But no, that was good. Kansas, you got right, and and good for the Jayhawks to go bowling. That was one I think at the start of the year. I think we all saw improvement, but I, not only any of us would have predicted a bowl game. Uh, so kudos to Lance Leipold, and they kept Lance Leipold. Uh, which is a, a plus for the Jayhawks and and good yes. call on the Neil Brown. So, uh, so we did okay. We did all right. Uh, I we are good. not I as dumb as people think we are, and that's the bottom that's line here. That's right. Definitely, definitely better at making these predictions than we were at our game picks throughout the year, which we were not really good at. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was uh, so fun stuff. But we held ourselves accountable, so now it's time to hold a good friend of ours accountable. Joel Anderson from Slate joins the show to talk about TCU and a lot more. We got a special guest on the podcast today, a good friend of ours, Joel Anderson, writer for Slate, host of seasons three and six of the Slow Burn podcast, co-host of the Hang Up and Listen weekly sports podcast on Slate, former TCU football player, which is the reason we brought him on, hmm. and of course, hmm. former fastest 10-year-old in America. Did I miss anything, Joel, in your long introduction resume? I uh, won the spelling. You didn't mention Beyonce. You want to mention Beyonce? I I mean, you could. You know what I'm saying? Beyonce saw me in church in 1995, saw something she liked. Um, (laughs) I I won the fifth grade spelling bee at my elementary school and finished third in HISD. Okay, there Um, we go. So, you know, there's some other things, you know, we could get into, but, uh, you know, there's no need to read off the whole resume. I don't think that's necessary. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no so we're, we're glad you could join us i know it's a fun time for you as a tcu alum former tcu player the frogs are in the playoff uh that's got to be exciting man like what do you think man you know i just nobody saw this coming right like i didn't tcu they were the uh, last ranked team in big 12 in preseason or i'm sure sh- i'm like saying or something yeah it was yeah. pretty low yeah yeah they were pretty low but not behind kansas right but yeah right i mean nobody saw this coming anybody that said they did is lying to you uh so yeah man yeah i get to talk a bunch of noise can i curse on this podcast i don't think so absolutely yeah yeah, yeah absolutely okay. i get to talk a lot of shit you know <laughs> uh you know uh i get to feel good for a few months um yeah man it's nice to I've forgotten what it was like to root for a winning football team. So it's real nice. <laughs> it has been a while. It's been a, been a rough go. And, but before we get into letting you indulge too much, <laughs> I do want to bring up one of the main reasons Max and I had this talk conversation last week. And I said, you know, we had, we had you on last year, mm-hmm. right about the time that Gary Patterson got fired and mm-hmm. the coaching mm-hmm. search was ongoing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm going to read off to you some of the things mm-hmm. you said at that moment. Mm. Uh, we were big, big proponents. You were of Deion Sanders. Uh, <laughs> you said, I'm not going to get excited about any of these dudes. If it's not Dion. Mm. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, am I wrong? I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, look how excited. Hold, the, hold on. There's, there's okay, more. There's more. There's more. I'm getting defensive already. I got to, I got to defend there's myself. More, go ahead. There's more. There's more. All right. <laughs> 
let's find something unique or different to distinguish ourselves from other schools. No offense to Sunny Dykes, Jeff Trailer, whoever the hell. I'm sure they'll be fine. I want to take some big swings. And then here is the killer. What's a nice way to say this? I don't think Sunny Dykes is what has what Sunny Dykes has done at SMU is a little overrated. I think he's a good coach. I think they're okay. He was a head coach at Cal. I know he wasn't necessarily a great fit for him for a number of reasons, but he's had his opportunities, and nobody would ever mistake him for Nick Saban. Hey, is that all wrong? Is any of that wrong still? I mean, I, I think all of that can still be true. And I, I can, can pull up your tweets if you want. You can pull <laughs> up your tweets here. Let's see. November 6, 2021. Please, please, please don't talk that Sunday nights to TCU Jazz anymore. We can do better. I mean, uh, better. Lots of references to September Sunny this year. And it took until <laughs> November, November 13th. Yeah, a lot of that. It took until they were 10 and 0 for you mm-hmm. to say. It's early in November of 2022, <laughs> but I was probably wrong about Sonny. So what do you have to say for yourself, Joel Anderson? Well, you know what, guys? You know, this is how I feel. I feel like if I picked Texas A&M to be a top 10 team or if I picked Baylor to win the Big 12, you know, I could if I was as wrong as that, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you know then, 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 then maybe I'd feel that way. But no, I mean, obviously, look, it's been an incredible turnaround. All praise due to September Sunny. Uh, he took over a program <laughs> that had been clearly underperforming for the past three or four years and got them moving in the same direction. I mean, obviously, that's that's very difficult. I still feel like so nobody is going to agree with me. And I know I'm going to seem like uh, a fogey or just somebody that is so hard headed. I can think that Sonny Dykes did a great job this season and still think that Dion would have been the better long term play in as much as. Deion Sanders is a long-term person, right? Um, so that's kind of where I met with it. You know, I, I look, I, I'd be a fool to sit up here and say that I'm unhappy that, Son- with, that Sonny Dykes is at TCU right now and has done what he did and has got all this energy around the program. But I still feel like, I mean, we, I mean, you saw Deion Sanders was on 60 Minutes this year, not Sonny Dykes. Uh, <laughs> the person that is the person that is controlling the news cycle in, over this past the past week in college football. Yeah. It's not it's not Sonny Dykes, it's Deion Sanders. Um, so look, I, you know, I, I acknowledge that Sonny Dykes for this year was the right choice, but I stand by my assertion <laughs> that I think that Deion Sanders might have been a better fit at TC. I think that Deion Sanders would be a, a much better fit at TC than he is at Colorado. Um, but you know, well, I guess we'll we'll all get to see. We'll Do you feel like Sonny did a good job in November this year? <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to retire the September Sunny epitaph. Uh, I would like to note, though, that he still only won one conference championship in 12 seasons as a uh, as a head coach. But yes, obviously, I mean to get through that gauntlet, right? To get through Texas, Baylor. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Kansas State, Oklahoma Texas State, Tech, West Virginia. State. I mean, yeah, yeah. to get through that gauntlet, man, and like I feel like that is as impressive. That's as impressive as Georgia going through the SEC because I don't think TCU is that much more talented than the mm-hmm. other teams mm-hmm. in the Big 12. And to have a spotless record, uh, at least through the cha- you know, until you got to the conference championship game, to win with that team that had underperformed for so long, uh, man, that's a, a hell of an accomplishment, man. So I don't know what Sonny did differently this year, if he did anything differently whatsoever. But um, yeah, I can't I can't take his November away from him, man. So I'll retire September Sonny. Uh, until uh, further notice when you watch them like what what feels different to you in terms of like just this team versus watching them struggle last year well man I mean I think there's two major things one obviously 
the amazing development of Max Dugan, right? Um, like nobody saw that coming. He was he wasn't supposed to start. This is supposed to be Chandler Morris's team. Um, so I don't. I thought that Max Dugan had a very low ceiling um, and kind of a maybe a high floor. Like he's just a you know mid level Big Twelve guy. I didn't see that coming. But I think the other thing. Um, just as somebody who's watched the program and watched most of its games over, you know, the last few years, the dramatic decrease in, in stupid plays and penalties, man, there was so many times over the past few years where TCU, frankly, looked sloppy and poorly coached mm-hmm. and coach P sweating and wildly gesticulating on the sideline. <laughs> can't cover that up. Like, okay. So I, I actually went ahead. I, Cause I've been talking about this for the last few days and I finally looked it up. So this year, TCU ranks 24th in, NCAA and penalties, which means, you know, there are fewer penalties, right? The, mm-hmm. the higher you rank, the fewer the penalties. The previous three years, they were 106, 110, Ooh. 108. Wow. So wow. just that just that in and of itself, like the things that I saw, I mean, it's true. Like they're a much better team. They're a much smarter team. Um, they're not killing themselves like they had been in the past. Um, the talent Which, which helps you flip some close games, obviously, which is what they did this year. Man, look, I mean, you can't win those games if you're committing the number of penalties that they've been committing in previous years, right? You 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 play yourself out of field goal range uh, in the Baylor game if you get penalties, right, or whatever. This things, the, the kind of penalties that they had just always seemed to be so poorly timed, and it would just kill momentum. And they didn't have that stuff. This like, year, like probably would have lost to Baylor. Probably would have lost to Oklahoma State. Maybe you pick out one or two more of those, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any of those games could like you know, could have been flipped real quick. And so the fact that they didn't beat themselves and allowed them and put the talent in places to succeed um, is something, man. I mean, just look, man, we had Zach Evans, man. You know, Zach Evans, one of the best, you know, recruits to ever come through that program, maybe the best. And I just didn't feel like we got a lot out of him. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, I don't know if that's that's due to him or the program, but like that sort of stuff, it doesn't seem... It seems like for whatever reason in the past year that Sonny developed these guys, Sonny and his team, and got them all going in the same direction and has coached them up. And, yeah, I mean, I don't look at them and say, man, they're leaving something on the table. I feel like Sonny is getting everything that he possibly can out of this particular team. Joel, you and I have texted a lot back and forth over the years about Max Duggan. I don't would yeah. never call you neither of us believers in him before this year. Uh, at least when it came to being a really great quarterback. So if I told you in August that he's going to be a Heisman finalist, what would you have thought? I mean, bro, I'd have been like, what kind of? I mean, let me. What What are you smoking? Let me get some of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's, you go on the good shit. Um, but I, I was absolutely ready for ready for the Chandler Morris era, and my thought coming into the season was, if Max Dugan is still our starting quarterback, if the competition is even close, that's not good enough, and it's a lost season. Um, I always thought Max was a tough kid. Like I hated to talk. I don't want to talk bad about a college kid, first of all, but especially one that was working and playing as hard as he was. Like all the things that you saw in the Big 12 championship game, like that stuff has been apparent the previous three years, but for the talent and the productivity. Um, I just thought that he was a kid that you want around your program, but not necessarily in a starring role. And I just think that uh, in a nutshell, this is like, the difference between Max Dugan this year and in the previous years. He threw for 30 touchdowns this season. That's more than the previous two seasons combined. His QB rating went up every single season. Um, I, I just, you know, 
it's kind of, you know, you all remember when Tra- Travon Boykin had been mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth between wide receiver and quarterback. And I, and then I remember they were like, Oh, he's going to be our starting quarterback. I'm like, Woo, damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad sign. And then all of a sudden he was awesome, you know? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, it's, it's sort of similar to that. Like I just didn't know. I don't think anybody could have predicted this. Uh, Sonny didn't because he, he made Chandler Morris the starting quarterback coming out of camp. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, man, I mean, all praise due to, to Max on that too, man. I mean, he, he stuck it out. He got better. He didn't get down on himself. And he everything that he earned this season, man. I mean, I'm I'm so happy for him. I'm happy he gets to go to New York, and I'm happy that he's still with the program. And I think does he have one more year? I think he has one he more does. year. He I does mean, if he wants it. Yeah. I I mean I don't know what his NFL future is if he has one, but hey man, if you want to stick around, I did not think that I'd be like, hey man, you want to stick around, do one more year. You know? <laughs> did not think I'd extend that invitation, but now I might. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And maybe we can hook up some NIL something, something. I don't know, you know. So, yeah, to, to make it worth his while. Again, sponsored by Slate. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Joel, TCU is the first team from the state of Texas to make the college football playoff. Is it, in, in your opinion, do you love rooting for TCU just as much as you love rooting against Texas and Texas A&M? That's actually a good question because it's true. Um, when TCU is mediocre or bad, which hasn't been often recently, um, but you know, it does like as frustrating as it is, it does give me a little relief. I'm like, okay, I don't have to have that anxiety anymore, and I could turn all my hate on the Longhorns and Aggies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the thing that I would just like to say, I mean, really you know, us making it to the college football playoff doesn't really mean anything because we've been the, it doesn't prove anything. We've been the best program in the state of Texas for more than a decade now. You know, maybe there's a case for Baylor, you know what I'm saying? But I would have expected we would beat the Longhorns and the Aggies to the playoffs. I mean, what have the Longhorns done nationally since Colt McCoy went down in the first quarter against Bama? Like, well, I mean, like when have they been like a national championship contender? Like nobody's ever seriously thought, uh, you know, once we got to October that the Longhorns were ever going to make the damn playoffs. And the Aggies, I mean, look, I don't make fun of them because just, you know, it's, hey, if we were talking, I used to root for the Aggies growing up. Uh, yes, I, okay. I remember this. Okay. I didn't, I didn't understand like where it was from or what it stood, you know, all, like my <laughs> uncle, my uncle went to A&M and was in the uh, ROTC and he was in, he was like a cadet or whatever. And so I just kind of thought, you know, and it was right up the street. They had that little Kenty cloth lining on their jerseys, too, in the 90s. <laughs> and so I just assumed some things about the program that were not necessarily true. Um, some of my boys went and played there. You know, I grew up with Jason Webster and Cornelius Anthony. So I was like, you know, I kind of rooted for AM. So, you know, I, I, I have a soft spot for them, but I can't lie. I mean, as long as they sorry like this, I mean, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> I can't ever laugh at them, you know. They've never been, they ain't never been a threat to TCU as far as I'm concerned. So them losing, I mean, that's just old hat. But when the, the horns do it, it's even more special. And look, I hope you Longhorns fans keep Steve Sarkeesian, man, keep giving them some chances. You know what I mean? You just never know. You know, he may be able to turn it around. You never know. So listen, <laughs> hold on to that man. Hold on to him tight. What, what, what was your mood during TCU Texas this year? Oh, my God. First, well, I mean, first of all, it was so tense. I mean, up through like midway through the third quarter, because I mean, first of all, I mean, so TC goes in a touchdown underdog, which is just I mean, just offensive on his face. I mean, what the hell? I mean, Texas ever won that game. You know, what I mean, like a game that everybody is like expecting it to win like that. I mean, what the seriously, when was the last time anybody ever 
you saw the Longhorns win in that spot. So we're getting into the third quarter, and then I slowly realized, I'm like, oh, we're in control. I just like, I mean, that Bijan can't do anything. Quinn Ewers is shook. You know, um, mm-hmm. I never thought that I, it, there was a point in the game that I realized all we got to do is pop one because Texas ain't about to do shit today. And then Kendra Miller breaks off down the right sideline and it was over. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're not going to. When Kendra scored on that touchdown, I was like, it's over. They're not going to be able to win, like, no matter what. And that's that was a, a level of calm for me as a fan uh, that I've never had. Remember, I grew up rooting for the Houston Oilers, man. Like, I, I saw the Buffalo playoff game. You know, I'm, I'm not stupid. I know what can happen. But I just knew that Texas is is just, I mean, just a sad, sorry-ass, weak-ass, soft-ass program, man. And that they weren't going to be able to <laughs> – that they weren't going to be able to bring it, bring it in. I knew they weren't going to be able to reel us back, man. So I, I was excited. I'm so thrilled. I Look, man, I wish they would stay in the Big 12 so we could keep beating their ass. But, look, I'm excited <laughs> for them to go over to the SEC and become Ole Miss or Arkansas or whatever. Or Mizzou. Maybe they'll be Mizzou. <laughs> Oh, that was terrific. Uh, what do you think of what do you think of the matchup with Michigan? And uh, looking ahead, I know I saw you tweet the other day. You didn't want Georgia. I can't lie. I'm not. You know, so I don't even want a lot of people to put on. Like I think that we can beat Georgia. Um, I think Michigan is really good. It's going to be really tough. But of the four teams in the playoff, that's the one that I feel we match up the best against. Maybe I'm going to feel stupid for that because I know Michigan can run, and that is TCU's weakness. It, it, you know, Baylor was Baylor and Kansas State were able to to run on us pretty, uh, pretty good. So, um, you know, I'm not foolish enough to believe that we should be the favorite going into that game, or that Michigan isn't going to present us with a lot of different problems. But I, I'm just like, yo, man, you know, we probably have the best athlete in the game, and Quentin Johnson. We've got a Heisman Trophy finalist and. Max Dugan, like they hit a couple of big plays, you know, anything could happen, you know, um, uh, you know, and I, you know, Sonny has a whole month to get mm-hmm. this together. The one thing that I'm worried about, though, is if they do that slow start bullshit, um, they're in real trouble. And nobody has outscored opponents by more points this year than Michigan in the second half. And uh, I just you can play with your food against Kansas in Oklahoma State. <laughs> I just, you know, Michigan is some different cats, man. So um I'm a little worried about that, but I mean, it's much better to be worried about how you match up in the semifinal than you do in the Cheez-It Bowl. So I'm willing to take it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's switch gears and talk about the guy we were talking a little bit at the top, Dion. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. What do you make of of his exit from Jackson State and his his arrival to Colorado and how all that played out? No, oh, sure. So I think it was expected, and that like a lot of other people have said, Dion has the right to do that, and that. Colorado was very fortunate to have landed him. Um, he did everything on the field that he said he'd do at Jackson State. And some of the things off the field that he said he'd do, he, he helped them to get a football facility built. Um, they had some incredible wins in the recruiting uh, process. I, I was looking at this on 24-7's uh, website, you know, the talent composite. Jackson State, man, is ranked 64th in talent composite score, which is unbelievable. Like, I mean, I don't think people – could step back and marvel at how ridiculous that is. That's ahead of Memphis, Kansas, Wake Forest, Washington right. State, like HBCU. I mean, you know, I mean? and not even like to say me. you're basically as talented as the best group of five teams already. Yeah, I mean, like, and for that to happen at Jackson State, a place that doesn't have the resources, this isn't a MIAC school. MIAC is the other major HBCU um, conference that traditionally has the stronger programs. 
for him to have pulled that off there, it's amazing. So I think that he's going to bring a lot of attention and energy and resources to a program in dire need of it. Um, I don't think he'll be there long term because that's just not how Dion is. Um, like he's kind of a bounce around guy. He, you know, <laughs> he has a short attention span. Um, but I do think that if he was ever going to stay at Jackson State for the long term, it would have been lovely if he had kept those things going on there. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah. I, so, yes, I mean, you're asking me. I, I, I know you got another question for me on this. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But I, <laughs> I, I um, yeah, I, I think he's going to do well at Colorado. I don't I can't say how well, but I think that they'll be better. Yeah, when you see like the response this week, um, and, and you're right, like he has completely like dominated the news cycle for not just like 48 hours, but like kind of the whole week basically since making that move. Um, it seems like he has that magnetism that he's going to be able to pull in some really, really talented players to um, to Colorado. Like, do you just from watching from afar, like, like, do you think that this can actually work at this level? Like, pretty quickly here you know what i mean like i we were talking about that on on stars matter yesterday like you know within a year you think they're probably they probably are pulling in a bunch of four star five star guys yeah man i mean i mean it sounds like they've been working on that even when they were jackson state yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that they were already checking in on guys Mm -hmm. um so i would expect that they have a pretty good recruiting class like you know somewhere in the 30s maybe this year and it's only going to get better um is it sustainable? I mean, that's sort of the thing, right? Because again, Dion has a short attention span. Um, Colorado has these intractable issues, has these problems that have been going on for two decades. I don't think all the coaches that have been at Colorado since like 2003 or post Gary Barnett have been bad. I think that there's probably a lot of issues there and we'll see if Dion is able to solve them. Um, but yes, it's in this era of college football it's much easier to move in one year and turn a one-win team to a six or seven win team mm-hmm. um so i could easily see Dion doing that now the issue is going from seven to eight wins to 10 or 11 wins that's a tremendous jump man and you got to do it against dan lanning jonathan smith kaylin DeBoer, uh um uh, shoot, Kyle Winningham, you know, the actual, you know, conference champion. Uh, can he do that? I, I don't know. We haven't seen him do it, you know? Um, and it's funny, though, like, if he if he gets some proof of concept here over two, three years, though, like, everyone's going to want to hire him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it's just crazy because you know that, like, Florida State would want him, right? Like, but they, I yeah. mean, they've, they've got a good coach. They got Mike Norvell, but, like, man you know that they would love that energy, right? So I, but the thing is, where does, where would Dion go? Like what, what, what programs would be willing to take him? Did you all hear this? I mean, you all are the experts now, you know what I'm saying? But like Auburn looked into Dion and was like, uh, I'm uncomfortable with this. And then they went with Hugh Freeze, which tells me, <laughs> <laughs> which tells me there must be some shit that we don't know out there about like how Dion runs his program and people might have doubts about um, its ability to work at the next level. So uh, watch that space because I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> you're, you're saying like, how could those two go head to head on background checks, right? I, just, I, mean, I, just, like, I mean, we got one guy who's using his employee provided phone to holler at escorts in Tampa, and on the other hand, you got Dion, who's like a little audacious, a little you know, big headed. You know what I'm saying? But. 
got prime prep. We got prime prep we, in the we, back. We got prime prep, but obviously people have said that, that you know, like they've moved well, on. Past it's that. like it's a thing. It's it's a thing I've kind of wondered, and like I don't know the answer to it, so I'm not. I, I can't speak to it, but it's like I think there's probably people that wonder, like, what is what was the day to day at Jackson State, right? Because like people see the games, people see how well his son is playing, and and the guys they've brought in, and you see that on ESPN and stuff. But you're like, what what is the you know Sunday to Friday over there? Is it is he is it more figurehead? Is it him having kind of his hands and everything? Like we kind of just don't know. Right, right. And they've kept people they've kept people away. Like they've had real tussles with the, the local media there and mm. other media. Like I mean, like a lot of people, they've taken control of the media environment around their program. And so they put out what they want to put out. Dion has his own production company or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well off media, whatever on YouTube. Uh so they put out what they want to get out and I haven't seen a lot of negative reporting about them yet or any questions about how they run their program yet, but he won't be able to do that at Colorado. I don't think uh, as he moves up the ladder, uh, eventually he's going to have to account for all the ways he runs his program. Last one for you on this. Uh, you know, as we saw throughout this last week, everything with Dion is content. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, I do appreciate kind of the unfiltered look, you know, especially when we talk about like the team meeting and stuff like that. Like, we know those conversations are happening with other coaches when they take jobs is just not broadcast for the rest of us. But at the same time, there, there was a little bit of a messy style in which he left Jackson state. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious, how do you weigh the positive he did there and for HBCU football as a, in general versus the way it ended in the way, the way he left? Well, we're, we're really making you defend Deion Sanders just based on comments you made a year ago. It, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't make me look crazy, man. It's like, why you want that guy again? Like, no, but I'm I'm, I'm curious. I'm curiously like I'm legitimately curious about your perspective yeah. because yeah. it's not it's it's not easy leaving somewhere is never going to be clean. It's in a college environment. It's just it's just not. But I, I'm curious based on what he said about what he was going to do coming in, which he did a lot of, versus what I think people projected upon him and how long he was going to stay and what he was going to mm-hmm. do big picture for HBCUs. Versus, you know, how it all ended. I'm just kind of curious what you thought about it all. Yeah, the big dumb football fan in me wanted him because I think that all the things that you see that he's done so far, like that stuff seems cool and I would want that for my football program. I thought that, right? And then this week I saw that video of him meeting with the players at Colorado. And look, I was at TCU when uh, Dennis Franchoni took Dennis Franchoni took over for Pat Sullivan. I've covered the sport. I know that those transitions can be really ugly and really cruel to the people caught up. But my thought was he recorded those meetings and published them. He wanted people to see how he talks to those kids. Mm -hmm. And I know that people get really numb to the idea that this is a business and we all sort of know that it is right. But Dion holds himself is out as more than that, that I'm not just like these other guys. I am a coach who uh, cares about these players. Um, I'm here on mission work. God sent me here, all this other stuff. And so when you tell these kids, I want to run you off, I want to make you quit. Um, you know, I'm bringing my own luggage, mm-hmm. you know, here's your quote. Like he wanted people to see that. And I just yep. think that that's it's not for everybody, but there's going to be some parents to see that and say, that's the kind of coach you need. Yeah, right. Right. Some people will look at that and be like, that's real life. 
That's yeah. the dude. I mean, right. there are a lot of people that 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 want to work for Elon Musk right now. You know what I mean? And I look at that <laughs> and I'm like, well, that seems like a clusterfuck. Like I wouldn't want to work <laughs> at that company, but I'm sure that there are some people that look at what Dion did and they say, well, man, sign my kid up for that. But that's right. not what I saw. I thought that that was um, those kids went one in eleven. They know their season was bad. They know that changes are going to be made. They know that some of them were going to be run off. Um, but for Dion to air that out to people uh, and to embarrass them um, in that way was really disappointing. And also the other thing that other people have commented on, and I tweeted about this earlier this week, and I hate to be the person to say I tweeted about this, but it just would have been really nice if Dion had acknowledged that Jackson State did a lot for him. Like he did a lot for Jackson State, but the Jackson State did a lot for him. Nobody else was going to hire Dion for that job, man. Like nobody was talking about hiring Dion as a head college football coach. They gave him a tremendous opportunity and platform and supported him in doing the things that he wanted to do. And I've not heard him say, thank you guys. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This is a special place. Um, it'll always have a piece of my heart. I couldn't have done this by myself. That's not what he says. He said, I'm coming. I'm doing it. This is me. You know, this is how I work, blah, blah, blah. That's just not very gracious or generous. And um, I just, you know, in retrospect, I'm less inclined to want to be affiliated or associated with a guy like that than I was last year. So I guess the there whole the whole scheme of this is I've been wrong for a whole year. You know, I'm coming around. <laughs> you know, let me tell you something, Joel. You know who wouldn't do those things? Sonny Dykes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, That's look, right. Man, look, you all know. I mean, because I know like everybody thinks the world is Sonny, man. Everybody seems to like him. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I want to like, I, I find it hard to not like him uh, as it is right now. So, um, you know, look, I mean, the one thing I would say is like, hey, man, your program was supposed to be built on this Rashad Samples thing. You know, you said you Rashad Samples, we're going to build a program that way, all that sort of stuff. I mean, so, you know, the on-field stuff, I'm, I got some questions about and like well, how you going to build a program going forward because mm -hmm. now the Rashad Samples ain't there. I mean, if Garrett Riley gets called away, what else you got? But um, as, a, <laughs> as a guy, as a as a dude, he seems like a really, a really uh, – nice guy really good person the person you want at the front of your program so uh in that way um i'm happy tc has it. i'm happy for you all that y'all ain't got to deal with coach p no more as much as i love coach p i'm glad y'all ain't got to deal with him no more so <laughs> hey we get we, we get to actually cover the program now it's kind of nice. i'm saying i mean it's it, seeing stories about the program seeing the inside of the facilities all that sort of stuff like i don't live in texas anymore so just being able to get, right. yeah. you know, get that glimpse of the program through you all and other people that have been covering it, it's been amazing, man. So yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy. Coach, Coach Dykes is there for now. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. Now. Yes. I reserve the right yeah. to change. I reserve the right. Yes, to change absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, right? Before we let you go, how is dad life? You are one of us. Are you one of us? Wash dads now that oh. is just trying to grind through every day. I was a watch dad before I had a kid. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about this uh, off air right before I got on. But yo, man, like, so the ceiling on my fun is lower, right? I, I don't get to stay up and watch TV anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's harder to go work out and do all the shit that I thought that was cool before. But like my version of fun has changed. And, you know, last night, my boy, he, he turned eight months old uh, the day before we recorded this. And he starts going, ba, 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 ba. And it's just all of the silly cliche shit that people say about being a parent. You realize, oh, it's true. Like all the stuff that people say, you don't know it until you experience it for yourself. And so like, I just sound like a goofy, uh, you know, in love. Talking about uh, the cutest dope. stuff you've ever seen in yeah. your life. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah. man. Like, like, yo, when, when my wife told me 
uh, they were like, yo, you know, when he was like three months old, he still believes he's a part of us, like to, that we're an extension of his body and he's a part of us. And I was like, oh man, that's the most adorable thing I've ever heard. Yo. I was like, I pulled him in, I was like, do you think you're part of me now? Um, so yo, man, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, I would like a bigger house. I would like to make more money. Uh, I'd need a little, little bit back, yep. backyard. But other than that, man, like this is, it's as dope as everybody says it. So you all dude, know, dude. I can't work at night anymore. I don't know about you. Like it's the it's the craziest thing. That was not how my twenties were at all, bro. Man, oh, seriously, man. Like I'm just like once he's with us for the rest of the day, like it's over. Like I can't do anything else. Like returning calls. I don't. The only person that I can talk to at night is my mother on Facetime, so she can see him. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to do anything else. You all know. So yeah, now I'm seeing like you know you got to draw boundaries. <laughs> around your work great. life when you have a kid so yes i, I gotta be we, we all i think we've all learned to be more efficient though right yes that's how it is you got no choice <laughs> L- less time on less time for uh one gotta go on twitter right <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean my, tw- my yeah. twitter account shuts down at 4 30 man you know what i'm saying i can't get to everything i want to anymore um, <laughs> i can't i can't uh, so me and max are gonna be in phoenix you coming Man, you coming? Man, not, Find no, these tickets. Hang. What are you doing? I mean, unless unless somebody hires me and gives me free stuff, <laughs> I don't think I can do it, man. I got, you know, man. The boys, the boys, eight months, man. I just, I kind of feel bad leaving leaving my wife alone with him right now. Um, but I will be watching. I will be supporting my frogs from home. But although, man, I've never been to Phoenix before, man. I want. I really, really would love to go to this game. If somebody wants to help me to get there uh i'll put up a gofundme or something uh <laughs> but uh yeah why don't you it, drop your handle real quick here on the pod just in case anyone's listening once yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, but just just buy joel anderson you know just whatever you want to yep. put a little something in the pot you know that's great uh <laughs> but nah, nah i don't i don't think i'm going to be able to go but uh you best believe you know you see it right here i'm gonna be i'm gonna be repping for my boys man i'm hoodie. gonna be i'm gonna be watching Very nice. so yeah yeah good stuff with well, joel anderson Thanks, man, so much for, for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming on and being a good sport. And congrats to your frogs, man. And uh, best of luck as we, hey, as we move forward. Hey, friends, anytime, man. I, and look, if I do show up in, in Phoenix, man, we all going out. We're going to get something, you know. I love so absolutely. If, if, I, if I could show up there. but We're going to get together and we're going to watch Texas A&M's bowl game together. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, are they are they are they are they replaying the uh, the Independence Bowl from two thousand one? Is that what it's going to be? <laughs> uh, good stuff. Appreciate Joel Anderson coming on. Nice long interview, Max. Did we miss any guys in the portal while that was happening? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Darren McCauley from Ball State. He's in the portal. Um, that's. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's a big one or not. I don't know. <laughs> don't, I don't know either. That, that's all I got. Oh, and uh, uh, an offensive lineman from Louisville committed to Cincinnati to follow Satterfield there, Luke Kandra. Oh. There you go. Big there you updates. go. There's your portal updates for for Thursday, December eighth. Uh, this is what it is. I know Monday was sexy, but it is a lot of just uh, random, <laughs> random ass names popping up. You know, Willie Lampkin from Coastal Carolina. That's a big one today, Sam. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Willie Lampkin, uh, but he is, uh, you know, really was one of the best uh, interior linemen in the G5 these past few years. All Sun Belt player. He's played left guard. He's played center. You know, those coastal guys all, all, usually are a little bit undersized, but I think he's going to be a pretty big name in the portal. There you go. That's your yeah. portal scoop of the day. There you go. There you go. Uh, it will be interesting to see, though. That, that's one of those things that happen with the coaching changes. But Jamie Chadwell moving on uh, from Coastal to Liberty. So 
be and I, how- I don't know. Those some of those guys just might be going to Liberty. That's that's kind of we're seeing Possibly. that be more commonplace. Yeah. But Josiah Stewart, their their pass rusher that went in, um, he's got you know USC and Michigan, all these schools right away. It's cool. That's one thing that's always cool to see is the G five and even some FCS guys this year who go in. And I know that they're kind of the exception to the rule, and and maybe that leads to other guys going in who shouldn't go in and stuff. But when some of these group of five and FCS players go in and find out right away oh yeah you can definitely play at this level we feel like and you get to have that recruiting process that you didn't really have in high school and stuff those those stories are always uh really cool to watch those play out yeah cam ward went through that last year i remember you wrote extensively yeah. about that so that's right uh pretty cool pretty cool stuff well max appreciate your work continue to monitor that portal keep us updated and uh, hopefully you get a breather this weekend when all the compliance folks go home uh, around the around the country. Uh, <laughs> so they can stop putting names in the portal for a couple of days. But Man, uh, I hope. Uh, thanks for listening to you guys. Uh, make sure you follow the Andy Staple Show and Friends Feed on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Andy Staple Show on YouTube. Andy and Ari Washman regularly do their show live from there. And many of our special guest interviews from throughout the season can be found there too. We had... Great guests this year. We had Sonny Dykes, TCU coach. We had quarterback Max Duggan, Heisman finalist. Uh, both of them on our podcast. We had Big 12 champs, Kansas State represented with Deuce Vaughn and Colin Klein. Uh, so uh, be sure to check all that stuff out. And thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon.